You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is nutritionist and best-selling author Sean Stevenson, and I've got a question for you. Can building muscle actually make you smarter? A randomized controlled trial published in the Archives of Internal Medicine found that resistance training promotes cognitive and functional brain plasticity. In addition, we know that merely contracting our muscles triggers the release of myokines that have been found to fortify our immune system, improve our cardiovascular health, and even improve our cognitive function. So our ability to maintain our memories. So reframing and looking at our brain as a functional muscle as well. And it's really this integration because it's our brain and our nervous system that enables our muscles to work in the first place. But we also have this interesting phenomenon of what we call, quote, muscle memory. Right now, does our muscle cells actually have little brains in them? Well, in some ways they do because it's this integration with the nervous system and our cells being able to maintain and supply data back and forth to the brain. And so it's really this beautiful dance happening when it comes to movement. And it's one of the greatest capacities as human beings that we have is to invoke movement in all these different creative ways. But here's one of the most important takeaways from today is that when it comes to our muscles, if you don't use it, you lose it. And so we're looking at what is the key to maintaining longevity, functional longevity with our body, with our muscles, and also with our brain and cognitive performance as well. Well, the latest data is confirming that it is through resistance training that we're seeing a gigantic leap in functional longevity and not just our lifespan, but our health span. And so it's not just muscle strength, and this is the key. The latest data is affirming it's also building and maintaining muscle mass. Now, this does not mean that we need to walk around with hulking amounts of muscle on our frame. If you're into that, that's cool. But for all of us, for every walk of life, for every demographic, for every sex, we need to build and maintain muscle mass. It is one of the greatest gifts that we have as human beings to choose to put more muscle on our frame but to create and build muscle that feels good on us, that also, dare I say, looks good on us as well, but most importantly, allows us to live a long, healthy life. And so here's the key. And what this episode is all about is practical, real world science on building and maintaining your muscle. And we're gonna look at this through the lens of the biggest mistakes that people make when working to build muscle. In fact, we're gonna go through the five biggest mistakes that people make when working to build and maintain their muscle. And we're going to learn from somebody who is, I'm talking about elite when it comes to understanding how to build muscle. And I think that this is going to be one of those episodes that impacts your life for many, many years to come. Now, it's really important to understand that it isn't just about the stressors or the environmental inputs, the strength training that enables us to build muscle there are key elements that are driving our muscle contractions and also the recovery and healing of our muscles as well to build back stronger. And so protein is obviously of critical importance because these are truly the building blocks. These amino acids are the building blocks that are making up these tissues, but also there are key minerals that are critical in order for our muscles to function in the first place. The most important minerals being electrolytes. These are minerals that carry an electric charge that enable muscle contraction in the first place. And so if we're deficient in these things, we simply cannot fire or recruit muscles in the same way. And also this can lead to unnecessary fatigue. This can lead to muscle cramping and also lack or slowing, degrading in the ability to have our muscles to be repaired. And so electrolytes are truly important. And actually, it was at my special guest house. I was just over there doing a show years ago, and he gave me these electrolytes. And honestly, I took them, and then they just sat in my cabinet for like three months. And then my wife went to do yoga. She went to a hot yoga class, and she came back, and she was just kind of feeling 
depleted and just kind of low energy. And I was like, oh, you know, you probably need some electrolytes. So let me grab you some, you know, I've got some in here. And I grabbed them, added them to water, gave them to her. And then I went to my office. I came back like 20 minutes later and she's like bright eyed and bushy tailed and like working. I'm just like, what the, what happened to you? And I realized like, okay, you know, I gave her some electrolytes, but this kind of change in her energy was very notable and very strange. And I was like, this is interesting. And so I utilize them the next day. And usually, you know, sometimes if I got a long day, if I'm recording a lot and doing multiple shows, you know, and doing interviews and media and all this stuff, you know, around four or five o'clock, I might not really want to be chatty Cathy at that point. I might just want to be a little bit more reserved, but it was like four or five o'clock and I was walking around in my backyard. Like I'm just thinking about, I haven't called such and such back yet. Or I like, I've got, I need to leave this voice text for such and such. I said, I get back to him, you know, whatever. I was just like thinking up people for me to get in contact with, which is not like my personality, especially at the end of the day. And I was just like, what is going on? Maybe it's just, I'm having a great day, but I had those electrolytes that day as well. It's just like, I'm putting two and two together. I'm like, this might be something special here. And so I start to look into the science and, and contacting the creator as well. And one of the creators is actually somebody who's for me been such a inspiration and mentor. And I was shocked that I hadn't utilized or looked into these electrolytes sooner because of my level of respect for him. And I'm talking about New York Times bestselling author, Rob Wolf, who's become a really good friend. And so having the science and having this connection and understanding the integrity, that's why I decided to really get on board with the incredible electrolytes from Element. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash model and not only are you going to get the best electrolyte formulation based on hundreds of thousands of data points from different people, we're talking about high level athletes to everyday folks on the optimal ratio and the most important electrolytes for performance, cognitive performance and physical activity as well. And no unnecessary sugars, no artificial colors, None of the nefarious stuff that we typically find in these quote electrolyte drinks that have become popularized in recent history, in particular through the lens of sport. Again, go to drinklmnt.com forward slash model, get yourself hooked up with their incredible electrolytes. And when you go to that link, you're going to get a free gift, a free sample pack of electrolytes with multiple flavors with every purchase. All right, so they're giving you a free gift right now when you go to drink lmnt.com forward slash model get hooked up with the best electrolytes in the world and on that note let's get to the apple podcast review of the week another five-star review titled thank you so much by b boop at two i've been listening for years and i cannot say enough about this man he truly cares about health and wellness of human beings and without his guidance through these podcasts i would still be so confused about health and food he breaks it down and he cares genuinely. He is an amazing human making a change in this chaotic world. Thank you so much, Sean. Thank you. Thank you so much for leaving that review over on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for your incredible words and affirmation. I appreciate that so very much. If you have to do so, please pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the Model Health Show. Spread the word so we can get this goodness into more people's hands and hearts. And without further ado, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Jay Ferruja is one of the most elite fitness coaches in the world. He's an advisor for teams and athletes in the NFL, MLB, WWE, and many other high-level organizations. He's also been a key contributor to many of the most popular fitness publications in the world, like Men's Fitness and Men's Health. As a matter of fact, he wrote a column for Men's Health Magazine for 10 years, specifically speaking to folks who were struggling to build muscle. And in this conversation, that's going to be our focus. What are the five biggest mistakes that people make when working to build this all important tissue called muscle? Let's dive into this conversation with the one and only Jay Ferruja. Fortunately, a lot of people are getting aware of the importance of having muscle, specifically not just muscle strength, but muscle mass for longevity, for being able to produce myokines and our cognitive function, functionality, all these incredible things, 
even our cognitive function, again, is deeply mm -hmm. dependent on muscle. Yeah. But there's been this sort of camp of gym bro versus the nerds and come to find out that focusing on muscle contraction, building muscle actually can make you smarter. Mm -hmm. The list goes on and on with the benefits, but I want to bring you here today to talk about how to do it. How do we actually build muscle? And this is coming from somebody, not only are you a legend, but you're from that place of struggling with putting on muscle. Oh, and yeah. so you know the mistakes that people make. Mm -hmm. And so we're gonna talk about five biggest mistakes that people make when working to build muscle. But first, can you start by sharing how you started off training for years and not being able to put on any muscle mass? Yeah. I mean, uh, as a kid, I was overweight and I was fat and I was unathletic. But then, you know, I, I got to be the point to the point where I was skinny fat. And I started training in eighth grade and I trained hard for five straight years all through high school. I graduated high school at the same height I am now, six feet tall, 147 pounds. So that was the result of all that work, all that eating. So I was like, man, this ain't working. I got I got to I got to dig deeper and try to figure this out. So, you know, in college, I would just order every book, take every course. Um, I switched my major up. You know, I went into college actually as a communications major. I either wanted to host like Sway, like host a radio show um, or, or, or direct films. And then I switched my major to exercise science. And uh, just that that became my obsession. At first, it was just selfish, right? I was like, I hate walking around at six feet, 147 pounds. So I just did all the, you know, the deep diving. And it was all experimentation for, you know, the next 10, 10 years or so. And finally figured it out, got myself up to 220 something and had uh, multiple, multiple people experience those kind of gains in my gym. You met one of them recently. Yeah. Uh, who was telling you stories, right? Like without, without fail, 30 to 50 pounds we would put on, on these guys, you know, over the course of one, two, three years. And so, so I combined the science and the real world experience. And you worked with him, was it like 20 years ago? It was 20 years ago, yeah. And he's still, again, he's about that life, very yeah. fit guy, different mindset. Yeah. You know, you had such an impact. That's This is why what really inspired me to ask you to come in today was that conversation, talking wow. with him. Wow. And just like, man, Jay has some of the most valuable information because what you were having him do back mm -hmm. then, 20 years ago, yeah. are many things that are popular today. Exactly, nobody was doing that back then. It's yeah. amazing, man. But also, again, I want to set the tone for this. This is important for everybody, mm -hmm. men and women. And of course, like your wife is about that life. Yep. Shout out to Jen. And this is important for our immune function, for our cognitive function, for our cardiovascular health, for just being functional. And now, most notably, all this data on longevity is deeply tied to our ability to gain and maintain our muscle mass. Mm -hmm. So let's dive into five biggest mistakes right. that people make. What's the first one? The first one is excess volume, just too much volume. People do too much, right? And and we could go a lot of different directions with that. But first of all, like any kind of like class kind of circuit style training, we're just doing a bunch of stuff and getting like huffy puffy, out of breath, sweating. Most mainstream people associate that with something productive. It's really not. It just skyrockets your your uh, adrenaline, your cortisol, you know, your stress hormones, right? But it doesn't really do anything. There's not enough loading um, to build any muscle. And so people are like, well, I'm burning fat. Yeah, but you could do other things that are less stressful on your system, right? So excess volume. Uh, and then again, with the kind of, you know, the huffy puffy like circuit stuff that people are into, short rest periods are part of that. So now there's there's been meta-analysis now on, on rest periods in between sets. Generally, people who don't know a lot about training will be like, oh, I should just you know rest 30 seconds, go again, go again. But now we know this for a fact that two minutes beats the brakes off of one minute in terms of muscle gains. Three minutes, even better. Two is like double the gains. Three isn't, isn't significant, but it's still better. So three crushes one minute. Now, that sounds boring to a lot of people. It's the exact opposite of running around, you know, doing burpees and all that kind of stuff. But if you want to build muscle, you got to embrace monotony, simplicity, just the boredom of doing the same things over and over again. And then obviously eating enough to to recover from that and to fuel that. So those would be a few things that fall under excess volume. And then another thing is in terms of, let's say you get your training dialed in. Okay, that looks like a good program, but now let's determine how many sets you need, right? And so again, we have recent meta-analysis compared doing five sets. So let's say chest, right? So you and I do five sets a week, uh, 10 sets a week, 15 or 20. The best gains were in the five and 10 set group. So doing more isn't getting you anywhere. Now, what's interesting about that too, and this is crazy, is if you take two to three minutes rest between sets, 
you need far less volume. If you rest 45 seconds to 60 seconds, you need far more volume because you're not allowing for uh, recovery of your CNS. So now each one of those sets, you're not recruiting enough muscle fibers. So you need more to make up for them. That's why I call that kind of junk volume. There's a lot of things that could be, you know, counted as junk volume. So those would be some of the things in excess volume doing higher reps. So now we have studies as well. And when I say studies, like I'm always backing this up with 30 years of experience and then talking to other coaches, right? Yeah. Because to me, that's first and foremost. A, a study doesn't prove anything. Maybe it validates like, oh, we were doing that 20 years ago. Now we know why, right? So there's a lot of kids nowadays who are in their 20s and 30s, like studies show this, studies show this. I'm like, yeah, but dude, real world experience first. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm leading with some of that because I know you, you and your audience like that. But really, it's real world experience. So um, the thing with, with doing higher reps is that it causes unnecessary fatigue. So if you and your twin brother go and do the same program for 12 weeks, but on every set you do six reps and he does 12, he's going to experience more fatigue, more central and peripheral fatigue on a day to day basis where he might be like, oh, I'm a little tired today. Or you might be like, I have CNS fatigue. It's just he's basically doubling the volume that you did. He's doing extra reps. And so the higher up we go in the volume, the more central and peripheral fatigue we'll have. And, you know, so, some people, they don't feel anything from that. But some people, if you have low recoverability, if you're a hard gainer like myself, you actually do tend to notice that a lot. So when I work with someone, what I'll do is I'll take their program, be like, okay, let's lower the reps to generally five to eight. Let's lower the volume to six to 10 sets per body part per week. And let's increase the rest periods from two to three, uh, from one minute to two to three minutes. That all sounds like, wow, that's so boring. But making gains is fun. It's not boring once you start making gains, you know? So excess volume, again, there's like kind of a, a lot of bullet points under excess volume, but that's basically how it sum it up. Yeah, this is sounding like this This is not equal out to the results that we see in right. Rocky Montage. Right, no, no, You know no, what I mean? No, no. Uh -uh. But the thing is, and I'm so glad that you mentioned this, 30 years of experience, mm -hmm. We overlook anecdotal, well, yeah. we put this label as anecdotal data. And the thing is, a lot of times science catches up later, exactly. especially in this context of muscle building. Yeah. Yep. There have been people that have figured this stuff out long, mm -hmm. long ago. And now we're getting these peer reviewed studies to affirm yeah. what a lot of folks had already figured out. And actually, you know, using the gym as your laboratory, mm -hmm. basically, you know, you're a master scientist in that. And I want to ask you about this in particular. So with us lowering our rep range, what does the weight look like though? Is this like getting to fatigue once we get to that six rep range, eight rep range, like, or is it still like, what does that look like? Yeah, so, and, and the reason I like lower reps from beginners, which is counterintuitive, and I've been saying this since the beginning of my career, you can go back and read stuff I wrote in 2000, I've been saying this, and most people say, no, beginners should use higher reps. The reason I disagree with that is because every rep you do, let's say over five or six, there's more of a risk of form breaking down injury, right? Like, like you know this if you're practicing a sport, a pitcher has a pitch count, right? Like we know we don't want to practice uh, under fatigue because then you'll your technique is horrible, right? So what we want to do is is minimize fatigue and we want our form to be perfect. So if I take someone who's who's a novice, let's say I take Braden for example, right? I say my do, youngest son. Yes. I say do a set of 20. There's there after five, he's gonna start breaking down stabilizers, intramuscular coordination, things like that. It's really hard. But if we do those 20 reps doing five sets of four or four sets of five, now we can make each one perfect. Because it's a lot easier to say, all right, you gotta do one. And then I'll break up that set of five. I'll say, Braden, just do five sets of one rep, but without taking a rest. All right, do one. Okay, cool. Now next one. There's less chance of injury, actually. So people, most people, again, counterintuitive, like, oh, but I'm using lighter weight. There's way more chance of injury doing high reps. High reps is a skill. You need to know how to breathe. You need to know how to stabilize, all those things. So I always start with lower reps. Now, let's say you're, you're a novice or intermediate. I would still start you with five to eight-ish, unless you're like, you know, you have a serious knee or elbow issue and you just can't do it. I'm going to start you with lower reps for a few different reasons. Same reasons there. It's going to minimize fatigue. You're going to make strength gains easier and faster, and people love to see progress. And the other thing is that if you do a set with 85% of your one rep max or more, so for simple math, let's say you can bench press 100 pounds. If you use 85 pounds, every muscle fiber is recruited from the first rep. 
If you do less than that, 70%, 60%, whatever, you only get full fiber recruitment during those last few reps to failure. And again, in the case of Braden or someone, I wouldn't want you going to failure because that's when we start breaking down, your elbow's flaring, they're like, oh, my shoulder's injured, you know? So there's a lot of powerful stuff about uh, low rep training. And this was something before we had any science that was introduced to me from the guys like uh, Arthur Saxon, George Hackenschmidt, Bosco, uh, Steve Reeves, Reg Park in the early, early 1900s. These guys, they didn't know the science, but they just knew anecdotally when you do higher reps, they would say it tires you out, it fatigues you, you're not building strength. Um, so they would treat it as practice. All right. I, I got questions, man. Okay. I got questions. All right. This is bringing up a little bit of resistance, mm -hmm. pun intended, yeah. in this conversation because there's also people who have a perspective of tut. All right. The time mm -hmm. under tension. Let's talk about that. How does that play into this? Does it not matter as much? To totally irrelevant. We now have the science that shows it's totally irrelevant. Okay. Yep. All right. Time under tension. So you, we don't need to be at this certain amount of time doing no, so, so So back in the day, we used to think 40 to 70 seconds was ideal for hypertrophy. Um, and here's the thing, too, with studies now, right? Like, I can look at all these studies and where the 28-year-old or 32-year-old kid's going to say this, and it's definitive black and white. I could say yes, but there are cases when we can break those rules, and that study's irrelevant. That study means nothing to me. Um, so you could look at studies that say every muscle is the exact same, right? So you could train your delts the way you train your quads, the way you train your lats. From real world experience, people know that your quads generally and your, your delts generally respond to, especially if you're a non-responder or a hard gainer, might need those sets of 15 to 20. Shoulders might need those sets of 15 to 20. It doesn't matter how long the set lasts. It's more just the contractions and what's happening there. Um, we just know from, from years and years of experience, some of the guys with the biggest quads did 20 rep sets. And it wasn't just that they were dummies. Like they figured out if I do fives, my quads don't grow as much as when I do 20s. Now, again, you're risking that excess fatigue. So you got to decide what's right for you. Got it. All right. So there's going to be some muscle distinction here as far as the rep range. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I wouldn't do that again until you're more advanced. I would say just generally start out five to eight on most stuff, five to 10 maybe. And then be smart about it. If you're like, hey, my knees don't feel good if I squat for fives. Cool. Do eight. Still hurts. Do 10. Still hurts. Maybe we got to do 12, right? It depends. So that, that's where, again, it depends. Where We can't just go 100% by the studies. It's individual with certain things. All right. So how how should the weight feel once we, if we're, right. if, if, if we're in the rep range of six to eight, how should the weight feel once we get to eight? Yeah. So I like, again, I'm going to keep you further away from failure, the more of a newbie and novice you are, because again, we're just, we're just risking injury and we're risking form breaking down and form, technique, execution, whatever you want to call it. That's the first form of progressive overload. So I just want better form. So you can, even you and I at our level, I was going to say anyone at, at any level, form has to be first. So you and I could use the same weight for weeks on end. If our form's getting better, we're improving intramuscular coordination, our CNS is recruiting more muscle fibers, we can make gains. So sometimes people get carried away with progressive overload, meaning I got to add one more rep than I did last week, or I got to add five pounds or just put on like those little magnets on the bar. But that's not that's not how your body works. So you, progressive overload, I always say form first and foremost. And then what should those reps look like? We get more advanced, right? Me and you go to the gym. They should be probably within one to two reps of failure. Now, failure, again, gray area. For me, failure is perfect form. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be struggling because for hypertrophy, now, now we know this unequivocally, you need... You need three things, right? So you need mechanical tension, although actually there's an asterisk here. We used to think you need mechanical tension, you need metabolic stress, which is just a pump, that feeling when your muscles swell up, and you need muscle damage. Recent studies have proven that these two don't matter. But I could argue that, okay? But what we know unequivocally is you do need mechanical tension. Now, there's still some people who don't know what that means. I still see a lot of people and even friends that I respect thinking mechanical tension is heavy weight. It's not heavy weight. It's the involuntary slowing of the contraction speed, meaning when you get to those last few reps, let's say I'm doing curls, right? The first few are like this. The last few slow down. No matter how hard I try to move that up, mm -hmm. I can't. So that's an involuntary slowing of contraction speed. That's what's required to maximize hypertrophy. So I need to get to the point where as, as fast as I try to move the weight, I can. It's still slowing down. Now, should that be all the way to failure or should that be one to two reps shy? It's kind of individual. It really depends. Um, 
for most people, I say one to two with perfect form, finish with one, two. Some sets, you should do that. It just depends on the exercise and the individual. Um, if you're, you know, shaking, like you're having a nervous breakdown, your eyes are popping, that's too much. You're going to feel that the next day and it's going to negatively impact your your workouts. But, you know, you're working hard, involuntary slow contraction speed, perfect form. We don't let any form break down. Um, and then that's the end. Now, if you are someone that for whatever reason we determine like, hey, man, you're under a lot of stress right now. You're not sleeping a lot. Even you have gut health issues, like training too hard can negatively impact your gut health, right? I go, all right, Sean, it's not a good idea for you to go to failure right now. Let's go three reps shy. If you're going three reps shy of failure, we're going to have to do a little bit more volume. So where I might say, hey, let's do eight to 10 sets a week. Maybe you're going to do 12 sets, 13 sets, nothing crazy, but you're going to need to make up a little more volume based on how you're training. I, I did not even think that you would talk so many times about the central nervous system. Like we don't think about that yeah. part. And that's really what's deciding yeah. which muscles are firing, mm -hmm. the muscle recruitment, all that stuff. And honoring that, like making sure that our recovery is good, making sure that it's there to like, you know, like you said, I love that you mentioned how you can feel, like even the recovery process, like if you feel beat down, you know, from doing a chest workout uh, a week later, yeah, when you say that you probably went too far, mm -hmm. but having soreness is not the issue. Let's talk a little bit about that too. Is that like, what is the ideal range? I know it's going to be individual. I know this is a tough question, but you know, getting that soreness, how long should we go until we're lifting with that muscle group again? So soreness is, is a really poor indicator of a good productive training session. You could never get sore. I don't like to get sore. And sometimes I'm like, oh, what did I do? Why did I get sore? And if I, if I train somebody and they get sore, I almost feel like I, I let myself down in some way because I don't want people to get sore. And so soreness comes from doing uh, too many eccentrics, like slow eccentrics, and it comes from stretch position movements. So, for example, a chest fly, um, overhead stuff for lats, chin-ups, um, a Romanian or stiff-legged deadlift. Yeah. So doing too many stretch position movements is not a good um, It's not a good approach for hypertrophy because we don't want a lot of soreness. Because, again, when I went back to, uh, I talked about mechanical tension, metabolic stress, muscle damage. Muscle damage, we don't want a lot of that. We used to think, you know, back in the 80s and whatever, Muscles are torn down there in the workout and they're rebuilt stronger. That's not really what happens. There's a whole other science to that, but that's not really what happens. We just need that mechanical tension. And what, what I was saying before is you can get that mechanical tension. I forgot to mention, some people think it means heavy weight. We used to all think it meant heavy weight. Any rep, any rep range from five to 30, you can get that mechanical tension. But obviously doing 30, you're doing 25 more reps and adding a lot more excess fatigue versus doing that set of five. I love it, man. Thank you. Like the soreness question is just like stuff is popping up for me too. And just to be able to hear your feedback is yeah, you don't need it. I don't like it. I, I don't think it's a, it's definitely not a good indicator of anything productive happening. And too much is bad. If you have too much soreness, a definitely don't train, but then adjust what you're doing next time because you shouldn't be getting really sore like that. That's causing all kinds of cytokines and all kinds of problems that we don't want, right? Yeah, yeah, and also it, and honestly, it just reduces your desire. Yeah. to perform exactly you yeah know, when you especially with sore hamstrings you know yeah. it's just like that's probably the worst vibe of any soreness is like sore hamstrings it's you know, trying to drag yeah. your, your legs around yeah and, and let's just touch on that for one more second because you know to what you said there a lot of people don't love training the way i do i want them to and if i make them sore and i make them beat up and then the next day you're like i have less energy you know i'm, I'm just a stockbroker i have more energy now now i'm training i have less energy I don't want that. I want you to feel better. So it's going to, again, look like on paper, like, is this all I'm doing? No soreness, no fatigue, but you're going to feel better and you're going to build muscle. And again, you know, it's it's ideal for longevity and all the things we talked about. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Biggest mistakes. We've got five we're going through. Number one is excess volume. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to number two. What do you got for us? So we, we kind of covered it. It's just not lifting heavy enough, right? So I, I talked about uh, the benefits of the low rep training. Um, again, if you're over 85% of your one rep max, you have full fiber recruitment, and then you're just avoiding excess fatigue, more reps are going to cause more soreness. Um, they may actually negatively impact insulin sensitivity, which is crazy. Um, and yeah, so, so that, that's really the thing. And if you go to most gyms, most people are trying to get somewhere and they're just using weight that's just way too light. You know, you're not, you're not, you're not getting that mechanical tension. You're not getting anything. So I, I would say just train heavier is, is really 
a huge thing for most people. Now, there are people who ego lift and they're just training way too heavy. But, you know, that's a whole nother thing. So we've got to find that pocket for our sweet spot. Yeah. 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 Which, again, is generally somewhere between five and ten reps within one to two reps shy of failure. Okay. Yep. But for any of us that are looking to add more muscle to our frame and if we're not seeing the results, one of the things to pay attention to is, am I actually lifting heavy enough yeah. to get this response? Mm -hmm. All right. But also within that, you've already shared it with, with perfect form, perfect having great form, form. is key. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's move on to number three. What do you got? So uh, s selecting the right exercises. Now, we've all seen, you know, the list for, for years and years and years, top 10 exercises, bench, squat, deadlift, um, nothing wrong with any of those, all good exercises. But you, you, for most people, you want variations of those exercises. So when we look at an exercise, we want to look at, okay, um, does this exercise, does the resistance profile of this exercise match your body strength curve? Um, does it line up well? Does it fit your structure, right? So what might be good for me? Might be different for you, might be different for Ann, might be different for Jordan, for Braden. Like, we, let's say we all get together, we're all going to squat. I might say, hey, you've had low back issues, so I'm going to have you do a staggered stance, like, like B stance, goblet squat. And then just knowing uh, Braden's age and his height and how many uh, kids I've worked with like that, I'm going to say we're going to have you do a safety squat with heels elevated. Jordan does everything perfect, so he could just do a regular back squat, right? Maybe Ann... I look at her and I say, and you know what? We're going to have you do a trap bar deadlift, which is a hybrid, right? So we're all squatting, but it's different for each one of us. And then maybe you, you're like, I just want to work on my quads. And we're like, okay, well, we don't want to risk your low back. So let's go on something really stable, like a hack squat. So it's five different people, six different people. We're squatting. Maybe we're doing six different types of squat. It's got to it's gotta fit your structure. So even if I said, hey, here are the five best muscle building exercises. If it doesn't fit you, if it hurts your shoulder, don't do it. It doesn't matter who says it. It doesn't matter if Phil Heath says it, whoever says it. It's got to fit you, so it can't cause pain. It's got to line up well with your structure. Um, an exercise should kind of uh, align with gravity, right? You see people doing this or they're pressing like this. It's like, yeah, gravity only goes this way, bro, not this way. You know what I mean? And then we would just want big compound movements that recruit a lot of muscle fibers. So the movement pattern, squat, hinge, vertical press, horizontal press, vertical row, uh, horizontal pull, those things are really important. Um, isolation stuff is kind of just icing on the cake. If you don't have a lot of time, I wouldn't even worry about, you know, doing buys, tries, lateral raises, things like that. We want those, mu those big exercises that recruit as much, as much muscle as possible. Got it. All right. So if we have time, mm -hmm. then we could dibble dabble in those more isolation exercises. But for nine, 90% of us probably focusing on those compound movements, because even working on your back. Yep. Doing pull-ups and lat pulls, you're going to be working on your biceps. But the key, again, is picking the right exercises for you. Yeah. I'm so glad that you mentioned this because I, I know you hear this a lot too. It's just like, well, I can't do that. Yeah. You know, especially when it comes to things like squatting, mm -hmm. right? But just like, do you get up and down out of a chair? Yep. You know, like just being able to inquire and have people to think about like, where are some movements that I do incorporate this that might not be this stereotypical version of a squat, yeah. right? The, the ass to grass, barbell, all that. There's like dozens, mm -hmm. do, maybe a hundred different ways that you can perform this squat. Yeah. Yep. And so, so what I do that, that's a very different from what most people do. Most people go in and they'll go right to that main compound exercise first. So walk in, I'm right to the squat rack. You wouldn't do that in any other physical endeavor. You obviously, maybe you do your warm up, whatever, but you're still going to your big compound exercise it might take 20, 30 minutes for you to be ready for that. So what I'll do first with most people that are advanced or been training a few years, especially guys our age, I'll have them get a hamstring pump first. So meaning the squat's never going to be the first exercise. Maybe it's leg curls, maybe it's glued ham raises. I might have them get a glute pump too. So maybe we'll do hip thrusts with a bar or a machine. So now everything back here is pumped up. So when I squat down, it's going to feel so much better. And I've also had, let's say, an extra 15, 20 minutes just to get blood flowing. There's a pump. My CNS is more fired up. And maybe you tell me your back or your knees or whatever bother you. Okay, let's do a single leg. So now maybe you're going to do a step up or a rear foot elevated split squat. Now when I have you go squat, it feels amazing. There's never been anyone that I did this with that didn't say that was a game changer. Like, for example, the other day I got a message from uh, Chad Gable. He's a WWE superstar and he was on the uh, Olympic wrestling team. So high level athlete, right? We just started working together not too long. He's been following my stuff and dabbled, but he never had me put together a program for him. He's like, 
dude, I've never felt this good my entire life. It's unbelievable. Now, some of that was reducing his volume and all the other things we talked about, but the sequencing that I do, game changer. And then, you know, certain people, most people, and a lot of people aren't going to like to hear this, can't do a chin-up, shouldn't do a chin-up because they don't have the shoulder mobility or the thoracic, which is your upper spine mobility to get your your arm directly overhead. So what I do is either I'll start them with a pull-down now, if I move my arm from directly overhead to a uh, 30 degree angle and lie on my torso, much less likely that I'm going to get elbow and shoulder problems. So we can do that on a pull down or we could do that on a modified chin up where if I'm, I'm leaning back here on rings or a bar and I put my feet up, now I can lean back. You could also do that on one of those Gravitron machines or just put a band around the chin up bar and, and lean back as you're doing it. Most people don't have the core strength to be able to be straight, uh, to do this without an, uh, a band or something. Yeah. So just the positioning is really important on a lot of things too. Yeah, yeah. So this is one of the biggest reasons that I would love folks to, to follow you, to get more in tune with your work is just being able to have access. It's like a superhero utility belt of different movements. And that's that could be, just even when you said it, like a game changer to get the hamstring pump and then mm -hmm. going over like, we don't think about things yeah. like that. And also, again, there's so many variations to exercises. You gave, you just shot them right out, just those varieties of different squats for different family members. Mm -hmm. But the the bottom line piece for all of this is that these are all inputs that are required if we're gonna build muscle. Yeah. And the vast majority of us can do these movements at some capacity. Mm -hmm. And so having a coach, having somebody who's 30 years of experience and actually helping the highest level folks to just everyday folks that are just trying to get healthier. It's, it's like, it's priceless, man. It's priceless. Got a quick break coming up. We'll be right back. When I was in high school and college, our big sports performance game day meal was muscacholi. All right, muscacholi consciousness, muscacholi performance. And wondering why we're over on the sidelines yawning and you know waiting for the next play to cycle back in again of course you get hopped up you get the adrenaline going you do your performance but what if there was something better not just for game day but for practice days as well because how you practice is how you perform and so if you're dedicated to true sports performance your nutrition really does matter and now we have things that have clinical evidence peer-reviewed controlled trials that show the efficacy of things that have been utilized for centuries. And a study published in Medicine and Science in Sports and Exercise tested 30 healthy athletes for six weeks to record the effects of cordyceps medicinal mushroom on their performance. The group that added cordyceps to their daily regimen had twice the oxygen uptake of the control group. This oxygen is essential in supplying nutrients to your muscles, preventing fatigue, and preventing the buildup of lactic acid. Another study done by the same group also showed a 9% increase in aerobic activity from utilizing cordyceps. And for myself personally, my pre-workout go-to is Shroom Tech Sport from Onnit. And this is because it was the subject of a double-blind, placebo-controlled 12-week clinical trial performed by researchers at Florida State University. And they found that utilizing Shroom Tech Sport as a pre-workout showed a direct increase in bench press reps by 12%. They also found an increase in combined bench press and back squat reps by 7% for the supersets and also were found to parallel the earlier study with a cardio performance increase by 8.8%, almost 9% that was seen in the earlier clinical trial. If you're not utilizing Shroom Tech Sport, definitely check it out. Go to onnit.com forward slash model. That's O-N-N-I-T.com forward slash model for 10% off. It's a world-class pre-workout and pre-life supplement to use. Onnit.com forward slash model. Now back to the show. All right, so we've got excess volume, number one. We've got not lifting heavy enough. Number two, we've got selecting the right exercises for you. What's number four? Now you gotta do those exercises properly. So technique, execution, that is huge. And that's really the biggest thing I see, you know, when I, I go into public gyms and the mistake that stands out is, wow, like we gotta work on that. Because there's no, it's an interesting thing with, with lifting, right? Like 
And nobody would go uh, play golf for the first time. And go, oh, yeah, I know how to play. Or you wouldn't step onto the basketball court the first time. But people go to the gym like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I'm fine. <laughs> it's like, not really, bro. Like, that doesn't look good. That doesn't look safe. You know, so um, you really need to learn execution. That's the most important thing. And people are just in a rush like, oh, I want to put two plates on the bar or whatever. It's like, now slow your roll. You got to slow down. You got to do fundamentals. I mean, that's really the most important thing is just get really good at the exercise because we all know people, and I've done it a million times, right? You have nagging shoulder injuries, nagging back injuries, my knees hurt, all these things. It's like you wear it almost as a, as a badge of honor. It's like battle scars. Yeah, I benched you. It's like, but that should, shouldn't really happen. Once in a while, you get too amped up. You do something stupid. Okay, but you shouldn't be getting injured all the time. You should be recovering pretty well. Um, so execution is really important. And, and you just need to, you know, kind of think about your positioning from head to toe and everything. Like, I can go into a few things real quick here. Like, for example, any exercise you do, you should never shrug. Pick any exercise. Your shoulders should always be back and down. So you should always be free. You could do Stevie Wonder, your head around a little bit. Anytime that neck is tight and there's tension up there, it's wrong. I don't care if it's a lateral raise. I don't care if it's a squat, a bench press, whatever it is. You want to create as much space from your ear to your trap here. Most people just have that habit. So make sure that's down and back. Every exercise, lock down and back, you're going to be safer. You want to avoid shoulder injuries when pressing? Just keep those scapula down and back. That's it. You're doing overhead pulling like a chin-up or a pull-down? Don't excessively let that come out. So just stay locked down and back. Something like that, super simple. Um, most people should be doing some type of deadlift, some type of hinge. What most people do that's incorrect, and I used to teach this. We used to teach this back in... Uh, the late, early, to, all throughout the 90s, I think we taught that. You'd have that huge stripper arch in your low back and then drive back. That's the worst thing to do. You want a neutral spine. So before you squat or before you deadlift, you almost do like a little bit of a posterior pelvic tilt. You pull your rib cage down. You brace your abs like you're going to get punched and just keep that neutral position. And again, that basically goes for everything. You're not going to get hurt doing a curl, but I would just want to rehearse, mentally rehearse that position. Always know, okay. Head up tall, I got space here, shoulders are back and down, spine is neutral, and just practice that all the time. So simple things like that can help you avoid those injuries, and that's just good form on everything. The other thing I would say for form is if, if you're new to an exercise, or you're just listening to like, man, I should probably work on my form, been doing things kind of sloppily, just slow down the reps for a while. So do fewer reps, like we talked to earlier, do sets of five to eight, and maybe do a three to four second negative. Now that's not something, again, it doesn't matter about time under tension, it's just kind of a learning thing, right? Yeah. So just for, it could be a few weeks, a few months, just slow down the negative a little bit. And then a key phrase that I always say is master the transition. So if I'm coming down in four seconds, it could be a press, it could be a squat, whatever, master the transition from where the eccentric or the negative of the rep ends and the concentric or where the positive begins. Because most people, they might go three, to one and then just bounce and you know ricochet out of the bottom yeah master that transition we control that eccentric and then don't explode now if you're an athlete let's say i'm work, i'm working with a basketball or football player eventually i may want them to explode but at first i don't want that i don't want momentum it's not gonna people will say well you recruit more fast twitch fibers if you explode maybe it's arguable at first i don't want that we, we can do that later on and even if i do want you to explode i would still say this Come down, master that transition where, we, where we, we change direction, and then we can explode all the way through the rest of the lift. That's not going to make you slower no matter what anyone says, especially if you're still playing your sport, you're still doing some med ball throws, you're still doing plyos, jumps, sprints, whatever. Yeah. You're just going to be safer, and there's going to be more, there's going to be less wear and tear on your joints, so you're going to perform better on the field. Yeah. A lot of times, especially sometimes someone will say to me, like you said before, people will say, I can't do that lift anymore. I'm like, Maybe you can. If I, if I teach you how to do it, you can. And one of the things is if you come down and squat and then you bounce out of the bottom, imagine your spine. If we, we had an x-ray on your spine, what happens if you have two, 300 pounds and then you bounce, right? There's that little minimum of compression. Right, right, right. We can eliminate that. If you come down slow, master that transition and go up, we don't have that compression where all of a sudden, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So just mastering that transition is really the main thing I would say to people. Be hyper aware of that. Yeah, you're not a car with those springs. No. Uh -huh. You're not a Jeep Cherokee. No. You know what I mean? Nope. That's man, that's incredible. So now, and by the way, that that cue with keeping our shoulders down, right? I do I I started doing that with dips quite some time ago because okay. that would bother my shoulder, mm -hmm. right? And I and I have to ha add a lot of weight on the dips for yeah. to, to, you know, for me to really feel it because I could do dips all day. Yeah. And but what it was was I was like 
tucking my, bringing yeah. my shoulders up a yep. little bit, you know. But once I got that cue, bring them down, it's just it been a piece of cake. Yeah. Now, you said not to shrug, but what if you're doing shrugs? So I generally don't even prescribe shrugs that much. I think you can get, um, if we look at anatomy and how, how things work, you can get traps doing rows a lot safer. A lot of people that do shrugs end up with neck issues or headaches or things like that. So I generally don't prescribe them early on. And then later, let's say we've been working together for a few months, you're like, man, I want those traps like Goldberg or something. Mm -hmm. Then we'll prescribe them. Um, but I would be like, Sean, how's your neck? How's your neck? How's your neck? You know what I mean? Just, just be careful there. And then I'll probably modify them to where I would have you lean, even if you're just sitting in this chair, have you lean forward and shrug up. And that way we kind of get your neck out of the way a little bit so you don't get that bunching in here. So just 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 small modifications like that on every exercise. And then, you know, I, I trained with your son, Jordan, like every exercise, none of this is proven by science, just 30 years where I go, hey man, just try to actually do a thumbless grip on that. And you're like, oh, my elbow doesn't hurt anymore. Or, you know, which lift? Let's talk about that. So actually on any type of press, a lot of people, so you always press with your hands wide open, right? Uh, I'm sorry, push up, push up, push up, right? And generally that tends to feel pretty good for people. But then once I start on a barbell or a dumbbell or a machine, simply closing that grip makes it feel completely different. So if we're on something safe like a machine, now I press, and I had Jordan do it, but he's super athletic. It would be risky, right? Um, I press dumbbells and bars thumbless like this. And what it does is just sets you into a little bit better position for your shoulder. Your elbows feel better. If you have a machine, then it's super safe. Then I would just go keep it open until it got really heavy. Just something simple like that. Like I have so many of those where it's like I never heard that before. And I was like, yeah, I just figured it out over 30 years. But it does work, a lot of those things, a lot of those tricks. Yeah, it, that's what he said when he came back from lifting yeah. with you. It's just like, man, Jay showed me this one little thing. And it's just like I felt it. It was like yeah. so, yeah, man, it's, it's so awesome. All right, so we've got the emphasis on technique and this is one of the biggest mistakes that people make you know just going in there willy-nilly and um you know maybe you, you read the side of the machine like okay i'm supposed to do this and you know it's it's cool to experiment we're experimental creatures but at the same time if you want to get good at something yeah. you know getting some training getting some education and getting these cues as well and we've gone through so four just to touch on that oh, again go get good at something Imagine you're you're uh, a baseball player or a golfer, right? Your swing. You don't swing until you can barely stand up and the swing gets so sloppy. You're never going to get good at it if you do that. So again, that's why these kind of lower fatigue sessions where we keep the reps lower, we keep the rest periods longer, we can master the exercise. And then once you master the exercise, that's when you get the gains. People sometimes just um, use the... Um, uh, the muscle confusion principle, just do something different every time they go into the gym. But that would be like, Mariano Rivera came out and threw one pitch his whole career. He's the greatest relief pitcher of all time. He didn't just come out and be like, oh, I'm going to throw a splitter, I'm going to throw a curveball, I'm going to throw a fastball, whatever I feel like doing, because then he would have never gotten good at that, right? So you got to get really good at an exercise, and then you improve inter- and intramuscular coordination, and that's when the gains actually happen. So you actually have to stick with an exercise for a long time to see the results from it. Everyone's kind of like, you know, you, you, we live in this immediate gratification society, and I get it. You want things to happen overnight, but you got to do the same thing over and over and just approach it with that mindset of mastery. How can I get better? How can I get better uh, each week? And then that, that always is a really happy moment when I'm working with someone. For me, they're like, oh, I just had this light bulb moment. I finally figured out what you mean by moving my pinkies here or there. I was like, yes, that's it. Um, because again, that's what's really going to lead to the gains. You can't just pile on the weights. Your your body doesn't work like that. Like your your connective tissue recovers six times slower than your muscles do sometimes. So it's like you you have to give that connection connective tissue time to adapt. If you're just every week, and sometimes you can do it, especially if you're younger, you could put five pounds. Like Jordan could put on five ten pounds every week on a lift for let's say six weeks straight. But eventually he's going to have something be like, oh, my elbow or shoulders. I try to tell everyone out, like, slow your roll a little bit. The body's not a machine. You can't just linearly go up and up and up. So what I always tell guys, especially our age, is, look, progressive overload is really important. You, you can't use the same load forever. You're not going to change the way you look. You're not going to build muscle, which is what we're talking about here. But just go in and assess how you feel that day. Last night, maybe I didn't sleep as well. Maybe my nutrition wasn't great last night. Um, and I go in and I start warming up like, Man, that's weird. What is that weird little tweak in my shoulder? Now, 15 years ago, I would have said, who cares? Rub some blue heat on it, which is like this horse liniment you put on. So it feels like it's on fire. You don't even feel it. 
And then we just start powering through it, right? And then you're like, yeah, I think I got to get shoulder surgery. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like you got to listen to your body. That's why when I give someone a program, especially someone who's type A or OCD, I'm like, bro, just chill. It doesn't mean you have to go up. It doesn't even mean you have to do the reps I have listed that day. If I listed six to eight, and you're like, I just don't feel it. My shoulder hurts. I have to do 12 to 15. Do 12 to 15 that day. Lightning, lightning up on the Lighten way. Lighten it up. Right. Yeah. You have to listen. If you're just going in like, I have to beat the logbook, I guarantee you're getting injured. Mm. Oh, man. All right. We're at number four here on these lists of biggest mistakes. What's number five? The last one, and again, you know, there's overlap. We kind of uh, covered it, but it's just not training hard enough, meaning the proximity to failure. So... There's two definitions of intensity. The, the textbook, the scientific definition of intensity is percentage of your one rep max. So again, simple math, if I could bench press 100 pounds, if I do 85 pounds for one rep, and it's easy, that's more intense than if I do 70 pounds for 13 reps, even if that's way harder, there's a higher perceived level of effort. But the, the meathead definition of intensity is just perceived level of effort, right? Yeah. So we kind of want to do both. We need to lift a little heavier, like I alluded to, closer to your one rep max, but we really need to work hard, hard but smart. So we want to be, again, if you're trying to gain muscle, general rule of thumb, one to two reps shy of failure. That's, we, we know this from real world experience, plenty of people who have produced results over the years and now from studies. If you go, and this is the other thing, when I mentioned, um, I think I alluded to this a little bit earlier, if, if you use lower rest periods, you need more volume to make up for it. If you are further from failure, you need way more volume to make up for it. And then at some point, if you're, if you're really a more than four reps from failure, it's probably a waste of time. You could probably just be walking the dog and vacuuming. Like you're not really getting much out of that. So there's basically there, there's an, uh, a theory known as the effective reps theory, meaning that there are only five stimulating reps in a set. Whether you do five reps or you do 35 reps, it's the last five reps before failure. Even Arnold knew this before we had the science. He would say it's those last few reps when you're really struggling. That's what causes the growth. And he was right. People said it before Arnold, and they were right. We didn't know the science. Now we know the science behind it. Again, involuntary slowing of the contraction speed. So we have five stimulating reps, possibly. Maybe it's only three, maybe it's four, we don't know. But it's, there's, there's a max of five in a set. So if you want to be more efficient, do sets of five. You know what I mean? Do sets of eight and leave one or two in the tank. That's, again, why I lean towards lower reps. Um, but we need to get within one to two reps shy of failure, train hard enough, and, again, chase progression, but smart. So progressive overload, oftentimes I, I would say the first rule of training is progressive overload. That was the younger me. That's why I didn't mention it here. Mm -hmm. It's still super important. We need to be doing more weight or more reps with the same load, but not every single week. We need to progress – uh, through form and technique first, listen to our bodies. But then we have to like, if I started a new exercise today, let's say I'm doing 60 pound dumbbells. If I'm still doing 60s in a year, I guarantee I haven't changed. Mm -hmm. I should be doing 65, 70, 75s eventually, you know? And so progress may look like, like if you invested in a stock, right? It's not just going to go straight up. Mm -hmm. It's going to go up. It's going to plateau. It's going to go down. But you just stick with it over time. And then eventually it gets easier. Like Frank Zane was one of the greatest bodybuilders of all time. A lot of people argue that he should have beaten Arnold in, in some contests. And Frank Zane said the same thing. Maybe, maybe I just, because I'm such a meathead, I, I pick 60s there. Uh, he said, I'll grab the 60s on a dumbbell press, and I'll use them until it's no longer challenging. And then I'll go to the 65s. Whereas, again, some of this you know progressive overload beat the logbook mentality is you get those little magnets. Now you do 61 and a quarter next week. The following week, you do 62 and a half. Then you do 63 and three quarters. Then you do 65. But again, you, you will break down doing that. So it's train hard enough, train within two reps shy of failure, but be smart about it. This is fire. This is so good, man. Thank you. You know, I want to circle back to number four on the technique. You know, you mentioned a really important part of fitness. You mentioned explosiveness mm -hmm. and working with a lot of athletes over the years and putting in distinct things for that purpose versus trying to be explosive on a squat, for example. Yeah. Yep. And this is something that, you know, we didn't know each other yeah. for a nice portion of our lives, but like we happen upon some of the same things, you know, and I would basically pair things, right? So I've got my squats for this purpose. Mm -hmm. And then I've got my box jumps over here for this purpose. I'm specifically doing explosive movements over here. Yes. And then I've got my strength aspect, my muscle building aspect on this thing over yep. here. 
So yeah, man, like that recipe, it, it just like sometimes talking with you is just like, damn, I did that right. But then sometimes like, damn, I should have did this instead. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But that's important that you bring that up. I think no matter what age, no matter what stage you're at, you should include, again, for longevity, right? You should include some of that explosive stuff. It doesn't have to be hand cleans. It could be just be simple stuff like let's just throw a 10-pound medicine ball. Let's do simple jumps. Um, maybe most people as they get older, especially if they haven't sprinted in a while, I wouldn't say start sprinting on flat ground. But we could sprint pushing a sled to make it less impactful. We could sprint on a steep incline like Walter Payton used to do, hill sprints. You know, things like that. You need to incorporate some kind of sprint, some kind of jump, and some kind of throw as you get older. Because you're going you're gonna to lose that. You're going to lose fast switch fibers faster than you, you lose muscle size, which yeah. is really critically important yeah. too. thank you for talking about that. That's absolutely true. You know, when we're kids, a lot of the, even, but a lot of stuff is happening in younger populations too for kids that are just sitting around and gaming all day and not really moving throughout the day. Not to disrespect gaming, but you know, there's also this movement of like fit gamers right now too. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know nothing about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's because of the cognitive benefits as well, like just being yeah. having you know faster right. reaction time, all yeah, these different things. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so, but anyways, keeping that in mind that you know, even with kids, if our bodies work on this use it or lose it basis, mm -hmm. you know, and so. But it's much more notable because when you're a kid, you're like made of like whatever Gumby's made of. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're just made oh, of you like. Oh, you can't get injured. It's almost <laughs> impossible. Yeah. But as you get older and things become more rigid and more fixed, mm -hmm. if you're not using these certain, you know, um, movement patterns mm -hmm. and muscle fibers, like your your brain is like, okay, like I'm, I'm about efficiency. Yeah. You know, your central nervous system, I'm about efficiency. Yep. My person, this person needs to be really efficient at sitting in a chair. And it will cater things to that. And if you try to do something else, especially something else very quickly, mm -hmm. your body's going to give yeah. you that feedback like, yeah, you can't. Yep. And so giving your body those inputs, uh, in particular, as you're getting older, if you don't use it, you lose it. Sometimes we don't do it and then we lose it and then we blame it on being older. Yeah. Right? And so... You know, there, and we've got so many examples of this. We're seeing it right now with LeBron James, mm -hmm. as my son calls him, LeBron Jamis, right? <laughs> He's out here, it's insane. He was he averaged 30 points a game last year. Yeah. That's nuts. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, even my son, he was watching the clip of him um, a couple of days ago. He's like, dang, he could still do it. Like, bro, just, you already knew he could still do yeah. it. You, you see the way that he's training. And by the way, sleep is a big part. I quoted Huge, him actually yeah. in my first book. It's just a big part of his training. Yeah. The recovery part. Mm. He invests in his body. Yeah. But also again, making sure that you're doing these movement patterns consistently. But also I want to point to this and ask you about this as well, the mindset around that. You know, keeping that curious mindset, that youthful mindset and not buying into the bullshit mm -hmm. that, you know, again, like I'm getting older, I can't move fast. Like how many examples do we need of people who are not buying into that right. and they're doing these exceptional things? But we just have a culture that as we get older and me, you know, having kids, I've been a dad longer in my life than I haven't been a dad. Yeah, I see it all the time, man. You know, even like even 10 years ago, you know, I go out, take my kids to the park. I'm the only parent that's like running around with them, mm -hmm. chasing them, going up the slides and all that. But I'm not doing it because I'm like, trying to make myself do it I'm doing because I have a spirit of play yeah and also again like then you start to see the outcomes 10 years after that mm -hmm. it's very different when you see the parent you know we get together for the yeah you know parent teacher conferences mm -hmm. you know so can you speak to the mindset around this you know you working with athletes you working with different people in different different demographics how important is the mindset around your your it, fitness? It, it's everything it, it all starts there right like you you have to want to you know, there's a few different directions I go with. A, I think it's a sense of pride. And it's, you know, like you you and I are a few years apart. I, I'm older than you, so I want to be better than you, right? Like we go to the gym, I want to be stronger than you. I'm always going to have it. I'm always going to be chasing that. If I, if I train with my friends at the same age, I want to be better in some way. I want to keep up. And nobody that I know that, that you look up to or admire ever mentions their age, right? It's just like, yeah, you don't true. even think about it. That's true. You just, like it, it never occurred to me, oh, I'm 49 now. I shouldn't be able to do this stuff. Never would occur to me. It's just you have that same kind of aggressive, relentless mindset of like, let's just keep getting better. Let's keep getting better. Maybe you got to adjust things. Maybe you don't recover as fast. You have to um, accept reality. Like maybe it takes me an extra 48 hours, whatever it is. Okay, cool. So how do we change our training? 
you know, we didn't cover in this podcast, which you alluded to there, obviously the recovery, the sleep, the nutrition is everything we're just talking about in the gym stuff. But I think it's just a sense of pride. I think everybody has a duty as a human being, as a man, a woman, to be your best, your most elite self. Like, I think that's the best thing we can do because then we can be better for everybody else. You know, some, some people might say, well, you should be serving and this. Yeah, I can't serve unless I'm my best self, meaning I'm my healthiest self, I'm my most confident self, my fittest, I feel the best. I have adequate muscle, I have adequate strength. Um, you never know when things are going to go down. You're going to need to use that. Um, but I, I just believe in you know holding yourself to a higher standard. And I think it's such a letdown when you see people, you know, that are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and say things like, and it really, it really personally gets to me when someone says, "Oh, I'm over the hill. Oh, you can't do this at my age." Like I remember being in my 20s, training clients that are 38, 45. Uh, 49, which I, I can't speak to anyone older than that, but they would say, oh, wait till you get to my age. And then I would get to their age and I was like, nothing, nothing happened. They wait till you get to my age. I'm there. Nothing happened. I'm better. I'm better. I'm leaner. I'm stronger. What, what are you talking about? Like, just stop making excuses, you know? Eventually, we're all going to be in a pine box, but I'm not going to let any self-limiting belief hold me back until then. I don't think anybody should. Nobody that you and I associate with does that, right? It's just hold yourself to a higher standard, set the example. And I know, as well as you do, most people don't wake up super excited to go to the gym they don't wake up super excited to eat salmon and sweet potatoes versus eating pizza and big macs right so it's up to you and i and i think it's up to everybody that's listening to this show right now choose to be that positive influence choose to be that inspiration there are times where i could eat a huge cheat meal and it would have no impact i'd actually wake up looking leaner and fuller the next day but i'm with someone at dinner that i know they can't afford to do it so i'm saying nope i'm eating salmon and, and sweet potatoes tonight I choose to be that inspiration. Yeah. There are times I could go out, you know me, I, I drink maybe an average of once a month. But if I'm with someone who's struggling with alcohol, I won't drink. I always choose to set that example. And I think that's what everybody should choose to do. Choose to be the example. Choose to inspire other people. You know, Kobe said the most important thing is that you inspire others so that they can be great in whatever they do. So, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a responsibility but what what better way to live life than choose that responsibility every day that, you know, everything you're doing, you're doing at a high level. My man, you know what? You said that one day we're all going to be in a pine box. I don't think you're going to be in a pine box. I think you're going to get your ashes converted into a dumbbell or something <laughs> like that because you could do wild stuff with, with ashes now. People yeah, get turned into diamonds. That's true. You're getting put in, turned into trees. You can put, that is true. get yourself put into a firework and all kinds Let's of get crazy little stuff. mini dumbbells and all my friends <laughs> will just rock them out of necklace. <laughs> man, my God, this has been so valuable, man. Thank you so much. And Thank you. you know, before I let you go, can you just speak briefly to the stuff outside of the gym? I know we touched on it a little bit. We mentioned, you know, sleep. You know, food matters. Just touch on that a little bit because if we're going to build muscle, yeah. it's a lot of the stuff that's not in the gym that is going to make the difference. Yeah. So as, as a younger man, I used to think it was just calories. And then, you know, when I realized that it wasn't, I, I, I found actually, wow, I recover faster by not eating junk food. Meaning I was on a seafood diet, right? It's fast food, it's pizza, all these things. And I was thinking that that would help you recover faster. But, you know, you're causing gut distress, you're causing inflammation. So food quality, first and foremost, protein, lead with protein. Uh, if you're trying to gain muscle, you're going to need carbs. So don't go on keto. Don't go on low carbs. I would generally start someone at a gram of protein per pound of body weight, maybe depending on their body fat levels, at least a gram of carbs per pound, if not two, if not three, if you're a skinny hard gainer. Um, and then fat, we're going to be 0 0.4, 0 0.5 grams times body weight generally. Um, but, you know, basic stuff that you probably talked about a million times, meat, eggs, chicken, fish. Uh, rice, sweet potatoes, fruit. Those are going to be really the main staples. Um, and, and, and to build muscle, I like to have someone eating three to four to five times a day. I don't like intermittent fasting for muscle gain, especially, again, coming from a hard gainer background. So, yeah, just high-quality food, eating enough. And, again, if you have those hard gainer, hard gainer genetics, you and I were talking about it before, it becomes a job, but you got to commit to it. Like, do you want to build muscle? Then you're going to have to eat when you don't feel like eating. You have to meal prep when you don't feel like eating. It becomes a pain in the ass, but you do have to do that and then, you know, you could do all the things to recovery, sauna's great, ice, you know, could argue on the science of ice, uh, but sleep's first and foremost. If you're not sleeping, I don't care about the blue blocking glasses and the red light and this, that, and the other thing. Like, just optimize your sleep, and that's it. You know, that, that's going to be the biggest game changer. And all the old bodybuilders and all the old strength athletes from the 1900s, they knew that before we had any of this stuff. They were just like, get to sleep, that's going to be the game changer. So those are really the most important things. Awesome. Man, super valuable, man. I love this platform because people can click play 
and get a master class from a master like you. You Thank know, you. it's like it's super special, man. But the most important thing is that we apply what we learn. Yep. So where can people connect with you? Just kind of get more into your universe, you know, check out programs and things like that. Yeah. So if you go to uh, MaximumMusclePlan.com, uh, I'll send you kind of a high level uh, overview of what we discussed here today. And then just all, all the other stuff will be there too. Awesome. And you got a show, social media. What about those? Yeah. Uh, Renegade Radio is a podcast. Social media. I am at Jay Ferrugia. Boom. Boom. My guy. Thank you so much, man. Right, I really man, appreciate it. Always a pleasure. You. Thank you. Let's go. Jay Ferrugia, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. Building muscle is one of the most important action steps for our longevity, for having high level cognitive function well into our elderly years, right? What the latest science is indicating is that being able to build and maintain a healthy amount of muscle can slow down the aging process effectively. So our chronological age is very different from our biological age. As we get into those advanced years, we can be functionally and cognitively much younger than what the calendar may say. And that's the special breed of people that we are working to build right now. We have that potential already locked inside of ourselves. And taking action on this information is how we can start to unlock this for ourselves and also to encourage this in other people. So please share this out with your friends and family. You can send this directly from the podcast app that you're listening on, or you can send this out to social media. Take a screenshot of the episode and tag me. I'm at Sean Model on Instagram and tag Jay as well. I'm sure that he would love to see the shout outs, but sharing is caring truly. And I appreciate you so much for tuning into this episode today. We've got some epic masterclasses, world-class guests coming your way very, very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.